Welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. My name is Suzanne Spradley, and I'm here with my colleague, Chase Cannon, and we are both attorneys with NFP in the Benefits Compliance section. Uh, Today, uh, we are going to walk through a topic that is not ACA-related, but before we do that, I want to do a quick recap of what's happening with the ACA repeal efforts. Um, The the GOP is going to make a last-ditch effort. As you know, we've talked about on prior podcasts, They can only use that reconciliation process until the end of September. So there is a bill that's submitted by Graham Casty um, along those lines and their last-ditch effort to repeal and replace that largely uses block grant funding to the states. Uh, It's very questionable whether it will even make it to the floor. Um, Senator McConnell has said that he will bring it to the floor if there are sufficient votes. Uh, But we have Rand Paul as the only person that I'm aware of that has already come out and said he definitely will not support the bill. We certainly have Senator McCain that's in question. And then Senators Mikowski and Collins are in states in which the the bill uh, would result in a decrease in funding for their states. So it's unlikely that they will support the bill as well. And we would need at least two out of those four to come on board. So we'll watch for the developments and certainly report on it on this podcast. Um, But for today, we thought we would take a, a sort of voyage to the other regions of benefits compliance and get into an area that's been very popular with our employers, which is the topic of paid family leave um, and what's happening in the state. So Chase, give us some background on what we're talking about when we say paid family leave. Yeah, that's a great question. There are so many laws that an employer has to consider, and we could really spend a few hours um, or a couple of podcasts on this topic of, of leave laws. But for purposes of today's podcast and paid family leave, it's helpful to remember that there are really two issues going on when a leave of absence occurs. The first is the entitlement to the leave itself. And that really asks the question, is there a law somewhere, either at the federal level, the state level, or in some instances, a city or a county level, is there a law that grants time away from work for the reason that the employee is taking the leave? And that the best example we can come up with here is FMLA. Most employers are familiar with FMLA. That grants a right for an employee to take a leave in certain situations. And um, that's really the first part of it. Is there something protecting the rights to be away from work, to be absent from work? Well, and also to have your job protected itself. So protection um, from a job protection standpoint. Right. And that's another aspect that we don't talk about a lot in the benefits compliance world because we're focused on what are the benefit obligations, but you're right, it also entitles job protection. You can't just fire somebody out, uh, fire somebody when they're out on this FML leave. So that's really the first question relates to the entitlement of the leave. The second is where we're spending our time today. What are the employer's obligations with respect to salary continuation during the leave? Is there a law that says the employer must make this a paid leave, either partially or fully? So really what we're talking about is, is there something that says this has to be paid versus unpaid leave? FMLA is a a great example again here as well. FMLA says the leave, the time away from work has to be allowed, but it does not obligate the employer to pay the employee during that leave. So FMLA even goes a little bit further and says you can continue to charge employees for their premiums for health insurance during the FMLA leave and even allows employers to terminate health insurance coverage if employees fail to pay their portion of the premium. Um, There's some notice and grace period rules there, but just the general idea that there's nothing in FMLA that requires an employer 
to um, pay the employee and can, in fact, treat them almost as if they're still an active employee. So I know we'll get into this in a moment at the state level, that which does at, at times require the employer to pay for the leave. But at the federal level, currently, as you say, there's nothing that requires it to be paid. But are there discussions happening at the federal level uh, to change the law on that issue? Yes. So overall, it's kind of it's a little bit crazy to think about. We're the only industrialized nation in the world that doesn't have some type of federal paid family leave law. Um, so at the federal level, we haven't seen that. I mentioned some states and cities and municipalities that we're going to talk about here in a second. But at a, fed at a federal level, we currently have nothing. Now, that said, it's not that this hasn't been a topic of discussion in the past. Uh, lots of industry groups are talking about it. And Congress has at least thought about it in the past. And currently, there is legislation that's been introduced in the Senate. And to give a little bit of background on that, this is a Senate Bill 337. It's called the Family and Medical Leave Insurance Act. As with other acts, the Congress likes to have a, an acronym, so it's called the Family Act. It would offer workers between 65 and 70 percent of their normal wages uh, when they take leave for up to 12 weeks to care for newborns, elderly parents, a sick spouse, or for themselves if they have a serious medical condition. It's funded through um, by both workers and employers through a payroll tax. And so that's part of the challenge here. Nobody likes uh, increasing taxes, and this would be considered a tax. Uh, but it would basically co cost employees about $2 per week. So it's not a huge tax. Uh, but as of right now, this is still just an introduced bill. It was introduced back in February, and nothing has happened on it. So even though we're seeing some discussion and perhaps hearing more about it at the state and local level and even across the country as far as these industry groups, we still haven't th seen anything major going on at the federal level yet. So, you know, that's interesting because if you believe in federalism, you would prefer those decisions to be made at the state level, but some would prefer it to be made at the federal level, level especially employers that cross state lines and have to uh, implement multiple different types of paid leave uh, across various states. It would be a simpler process for them if there was one set of laws at the federal level. But uh, you say that at the state and local level, let's talk about that. What states have you seen that have gotten into the game of requiring paid family leave? Yeah, so it really is a challenge when we're talking about each state and these cities even getting into the game here on these laws um, really complicates compliance for these multi-state employers. But basically, there's five states plus the District of Columbia that have enacted paid leave laws um, so far. Those include, include California. Of course, California is always on this list of additional compliance obligations. Washington, um, Washington, D.C., I mentioned, New Jersey, Rhode Island, and now New York is the most recent. There are some other states, about 20 or so, that have introduced legislation, and so we may see that number grow shortly. Um, and there are also other states that have enacted paid sick leave laws, and I wanted to provide a quick note on that. Um, those generally allow employees to take time off for their own sickness, and in some, some instances for care of a loved one. But they're generally much shorter in duration, usually about 40 hours a year. So it's basically one week um, or five days, and employees accrue that as they work. So it's, it's really like an extremely short version of a paid family leave, uh, but it's usually related to sickness and is much more short term. 
Uh, so you may hear some of those additional states, and they include Connecticut, Oregon, Arizona, Massachusetts, and Vermont. But for the most part, we don't consider that to be this paid family leave. When we're talking about that, we're talking about a much uh, more extended length of time, and usually for extended family members. And then that's really what we're focusing on today. Right. So we really do want to just, just focus on today on the, on the paid family leave because it is more broad. It does um, in its application and it, it does affect more people because the employers can take leave for a wider variety of, indivi of individuals than just themselves. So let's talk about a few of those states that have paid family leave. Um, let's start with California because it's the biggest state. So why don't we contrast that with New York or New Jersey? Yeah, so California is a great place to start. They're actually the first ones to enact a law like this, so it's good to give them their due and discuss theirs first. But basically, this law in California applies to employers with at least one employee in California who earns 300 or more in wages in a 12-month period. Um, the leave is funded through employee payroll deductions, so no employer contributions are required, and that's generally what we're seeing across all five of those states plus D.C. Um, but basically, the law provides salary replacement of between 60 and 70 percent of wages, and that went up recently from 55 percent prior to 2018. So a little bit of increase there, and it's for up to six weeks. So we don't want to get into the specific numbers on here. And we won't go into the actual benefit, but it generally depends on the employee's wages as compared to the state's average weekly wage. So employees can take paid family leave to care for a family member with a serious health condition or for male and female employees who are absent from work due to the birth or adoption of a baby. And you'll notice the addition of male there. Um, that's another trend that we could probably spend another podcast on is, is providing benefits to both males and females when it comes to a birth or adoption. Um, for employers, the, the California paid family leave law means a little bit more administrative tracking and notice requirements to employees. And then employees will generally claim their benefit through the state. And so the employer is kind of left out of that process. Of course, this is another discussion point for employers because the uh, California law and many of these others don't provide 100% salary replacement, employers can always choose to supplement that. And so if the law pays 60%, maybe the employer wants to step in and pay the other 40%, at least for those six weeks, so that the California employee feels like they're getting 100% of their wages, maybe feels a little bit more comfortable to take that time off. Um, so that's California. Again, they were the first ones to decide on that. So I think it, one thing that's important to point out with that is, as you mentioned in the very beginning, that it, it applies to employers with at least one employee in California. So we're talking about employers that are not located in California, but happen to have an, an employee in that state. So that there goes the administrative difficulty when you have employees in multiple states. Yes, exactly what you're talking about. And we'll see that again with these other states. They generally apply based on just having a handful or in some instances one employee in that state. So New Jersey's law is pretty similar looking at that one. It's been around since 2009. It's funded through employee payroll deductions. So again, we're, the laws aren't asking additional contributions from employers. Um, New Jersey's law provides six weeks of paid leave to bond with a newborn or newly adopted child in the first year or to care for a family member with a serious health condition. And the benefit in New Jersey is two-thirds of their average weekly wage up to a maximum. 
Um, Rhode Island, I'll just throw them in really quickly. They're pretty much the same, but they only have four weeks. So you'll see a little bit of difference in the length. And um, so that's a comparison to kind of of those three states there. So we've compared California, New Jersey, Rhode Island. I think you'd also mentioned Washington State and Washington, D.C., but I know probably the one that we get the most questions on currently is the New York law that appears to be the broadest law enacted yet. So can you tell us about that one? Yeah, New York is the hottest item right now. Everybody wants information on New York paid family leave. They call it PFL up there. And the reason it's so hot, one of the reasons is because it grants up to 12 weeks of paid family leave when it's fully enacted in 2021. So that's a long time um, really lining up with FMLA, but much longer than the six weeks that we saw in California and New Jersey or the four weeks in Rhode Island. Um, So they in New York took an approach where it would implement the law gradually. And so in 2018, when it first takes effect, and this is why it's so hot of an item right now is employers are really gearing up for January 1, 2018. It grants up to eight weeks of paid family leave and pays out a benefit at 50% of weekly earnings. In 2019 and 2020, that goes up to 10 weeks for both of those years and then pays out at 55 and 60% in 2019 and 2020, respectively. And then, as I mentioned, in 2021, it goes to 12 weeks and it's the benefit is 67% of weekly earnings. So they took a little bit of a gradual approach there, but again, the end result, even to start is eight weeks is still more than any of these other state laws that we're seeing. So I know a lot of people are talking about this law. It, it obviously, I'm sure most of the concern or part of the concern at least is in the extensive nature of the benefits, but what else are they concerned about? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's, it's the length there and it's that good old East Coast bias, right? Everybody loves New York. Everybody wants to be New York, or at least that's what we want New Yorkers to think. Uh, but, but really, I think many, many companies have a connection to New York. Um, NFP is a great example of this. We have an office there and a fairly large presence. So I think that's another big reason because so many companies have offices or employees in New York. They now have to consider this law. And so you mentioned earlier, even if the employee has or employer only has one employee in New York, that's enough to attach this law to the employer. And it can include remote employees working out of their home. So the employer, employers have to really pay attention to that. Now, when it comes to what do New York employers have to do to comply, um, really the employer has, uh, they already have to comply with what is called New York State Mandated Disability Coverage, or DBL, as that's referred to up there. And so if an employer is already in New York, they probably already have a DBL policy, in other words, an insurance policy that's uh, covering those disability benefits. In that instance, they just really add a rider onto the disability plan. And so it's really not too hard to get the coverage part of it in place. The carriers are expecting this. We've seen a lot of communications back and forth with carriers. And so you just add the rider and then you have to go to the payroll company and make sure they're withholding the proper employee contributions. Beyond that, there's a little bit of um, education that employers have to do, a few notice requirements. And then the hardest part, I think, is going to be with respect to employer policies when it comes to leave. And when I say policy there, I'm talking about an employer's internal leave of absence policy. And that just requires a little bit of coordination on how the employer is going to treat this New York PFL protected leave 
as it compares to FMLA, as it compares to the employer's general salary continuation uh, program. So if they already have a short-term disability plan or a long-term disability plan, how do those interact? And so one thing to consider there is the New York PFL can run concurrently with FMLA, um, but they, an employer that chose to do that would need to explain it to the employees. And there's also a coordination with New York Disability. I mentioned that disability or DBL benefit. An employee can't take disability and PFL benefits simultaneously. And so you have to kind of back up and figure out at what point is this employee out on disability, which is also protected, and, and, and you may have different reasons there. Disability is generally the employee's own serious condition, whereas PFL protects something else uh, within the family. So that uh, really comes to a place where we would often tell them that it's wise to get outside counsel involved in reviewing your policies and procedures to ensure that you're implementing the law correctly. Yeah, that's exactly right. We just get down to so many specific laws and so many specific situations with the employer that they really need outside counsel to weigh all those as it relates to that specific situation. Um, so... Um, but it's, it's an area where we've seen some big deficiencies with our clients when it comes to these employer leave policies. And just across the board, employers might have informal policies when it comes to time off, but they may not, be want, to, they may not want to be tied down by those. That's the general feeling. They want to be able to be flexible and maybe make exceptions for important employees. And really, these new state paid sick leave laws, it gives employers an opportunity to go back and review their policies and ensure they're not only complying, but they're, they're also educating employees on their rights and obligations when they go out on a leave. So again, we could do like 10 podcasts on the various other leave issues. We have FMLA, the ADA, we haven't talked much about that. It's the Americans with Disabilities Act. Uh, COBRA, what happens you know, to the coverage once they get past their 12 weeks in, the, in an FMLA leave? Um, premium payments during the leave. So we'll leave those to another time, but yeah. definitely some complications there. Outside counsel is the, the best way to go. I like your reference to it being an opportunity. That's a positive way of looking at it. And, and I do think it'd be a great topic for us in the future. Um, but before we wrap up, Chase, I, you had mentioned a few cities or municipalities that have also enacted the paid sick leave or paid family leave. So I know uh, you had said that those generally don't go for um, more than a six or eight week period. So they are usually a shorter term, shorter term accruals. Uh, to pay for the leave, but um, tell us some more about those. Yeah, we don't have time to get into this, the details on these uh, cities and municipalities, but at least if someone's located in or near these cities, they can kind of raise awareness that they may need to check into it. And like you're saying, these are generally 40 hours per year, which is the equivalent of a week or so of sick time. So not as burdensome as those state laws that we talked about in New York, New Jersey, California, et cetera. But here, here's the list, a few in California to start off. Berkeley, Emeryville, Long Beach, Los Angeles, which has some special rules for hotel and airport workers. Uh, Oakland, San Diego, San Francisco, Santa Monica. Um, some other cities across the country, Chicago, Illinois, Cook County, Illinois, New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, Montgomery County, Maryland, Minneapolis and St. Paul in Minnesota. That was an interesting one that we covered in our newsletter. It's a little bit of back and forth between Minneapolis and St. Paul, and those cities are right next to each other, and it seemed like they were trying to outdo each other hmm. on what they could um, provide. 
Bloomfield, East Orange, Elizabeth, Irvington, Jersey City, Newark, New Brunswick, Passaic, Patterson, Plainfield, Trenton, Montclair, and Morristown. Those are all in New Jersey. So even mm-hmm. where we have a state that has a statewide, there's still cities going a little bit further in some instances. Um, so New Jersey is obviously very active here. New York City, New York has their own. Uh, Eugene, Oregon, Portland, Oregon, uh, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, Puerto Rico, and then a couple of cities in Washington State, including Seattle, Spokane, Tacoma, and SeaTac. So there's some big cities in there, and most likely employers in those cities are aware of some of these laws, but if not, this is a good time. Again, we like to spin the positive. It's a great opportunity to go back and look at some of these laws. And like you mentioned, Suzanne, outside counsel is really where employers want to go with specific questions and in drafting and implementing those uh, leave of absence policies. Excellent, Chase. Thank you for walking us through that. I know it's a complicated subject and certainly one that is uh, hitting a lot of our employers at this time. And I think that we'll probably use future podcasts for delving into not only this topic, but some other benefits compliance topics that are non-ACA related. So with that, I think that we will sign off for the day. And as we like to say, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Thank you, Chase. Yeah, thanks for joining us.